Listening to the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. This is the Fret Files Podcast. I'm Eric Daw, your guitar expert with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. With me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings, guitar nerds. That's Melissa. You know, we've got a lot of really good questions this episode. We have two calls, which is great. Yeah. I wish more people would call. That's awesome. Uh, but a lot of people, most people send in emails, and we've got a lot of emails to answer. Um, emails about doing kind of an enhanced setup, emails about re-gluing acoustic bridges, emails about how to adjust action when you have an under-saddle pickup, the elusive mocha finish on 70 strats, uh, emails about neck relief, a lot of good questions. Cool. So stick around for that. Um, we're, we're coming to you from Seattle, if you don't know. And uh, where I work at Emerald City Guitars uh, as their in-house tech there. And uh, I just got to say, you know, it's spring. Spring is here. And uh, I am really sick of the rain. It's been raining for approximately an eternity. Yeah. Just about. When I first moved here, people would say, oh, you Seattle, huh? I hope you like rain. Then you defend <laughs> it. You go, oh, actually, you know, if you... You know, if you look at the actual, you know, precipitation amounts, you know, and the average rainfall, uh, a lot of people, a lot of places get even just as much rain as Seattle, like New York or whatever. It's just that when it rains in Seattle, it just kind of drizzles and it's, you know, it really doesn't get that much rain. No, forget all that. It rains all the time and I'm tired of it. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We go weeks without seeing the sun. Months. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah, it came out for about 20 minutes today, and we went outside. Yeah, I wanted to shake my fist at the sky today and just scream, Stop! Enough! It's enough! (laughs) Anyhow, we're in Seattle, where I repair guitars, so if you're in the Seattle area, I would love to be your guitar tech. And even if you're not, you know, I get a lot of people from all over the place sending me repairs. Um, I rewind pickups. People send me pickups from all over the place. Uh, I make custom guitars, of course. You can go to ericdaw.com and check that out, or pinupcustomguitars.com and check that out. Um, I'd really love for you to participate in the show. Uh, You can do so by going to my website, ericdaw.com, click the contact link, send an email, or call 757-774-8482. 
and you can text that number or call that number. But if you call, you just leave a message with your question or comment for the show, and uh, I'll use it on the show. That number again is 757-774-8482. So, yeah, participate in the show. You know, my wife uh, here, my my lovely co-host, makes beautiful guitar straps. Yes. You should check that out. I don't know if, if you know about that. Uh, yeah, so I make a guitar, custom leather guitar straps. And uh, if you want to check them out, you can go to my website. It's melco, M-E-L-C-O, leather.com. Shall we take some questions? Sounds good. Let's go to the phones. Hey, Eric and Melissa. It's Dean up in Bo again. I called a couple months ago talking about uh, losing a lot of treble tone on uh, my first and second strings uh, from time to time at different gigs. Uh, something that I left out, I had forgotten that... Um, on this guitar, I installed the Stumac treble bleed circuit at some point, and uh, this problem started happening after that. Um, I'm not sure ex- ex- exactly if it happened right away or not. You know, it was an intermittent problem. Um, so I've since taken the treble bleed circuit out, and and I'm not having that problem anymore. I did enjoy what the treble bleed circuit de- did does in that it uh, it kind of increased the range of my volume knob. I do use my volume knob a lot um, when I'm playing out. But I'm wondering if maybe I uh, did something wrong in the installation. Can you talk a little bit about that treble bleed circuit and what it does, and is there a, a right and a wrong way to install it? I kind of feel like there isn't. It's It seems pretty simple to me. But uh, I'm not an electronics specialist like you, so... Uh, thanks for any information you can relay about that, and uh, and still enjoying the show. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Dean. Yeah, so I remember his initial question. He was losing some high end there, and here's a follow-up. It sounds like uh, he fixed the problem by removing that, that treble bleed capacitor that he had added uh, from Stumac. You know, um, y- you've got me a little bit stumped on that one, Dean, because... Uh, the the treble bleed circuit should not be sapping uh, high end away from your tone. So uh, the only yeah, I the, and and you're right. It's a pretty simple mod. So uh, you know I'm I'd be surprised if you messed it up. But um, yeah, it's just a if you don't know what a treble bleed circuit is, it's a I don't. It's okay. Yeah, it's just it's a little. That, well, there's a couple different ways to do it. The, the kit that Stuart McDonald sells, it's a point zero zero one microfarad capacitor in parallel with a little resistor, like a 150K resistor. And what it does is it, there's three lugs on a pot, right. right? One of them is soldered to ground. Right. The other two are in and out, you know, right. in from the pickup, out to the switch or out to the jack or whatever. And then you put this little capacitor in, and resistor combination between those two lugs, between the in and out lugs. And what it does is, as you turn your volume control down, it preserves high end because one of the oh. one of the problems with pots is, uh, you know, a pot is just a variable resistor, and as you bring that resistor into the circuit by turning the volume down, 
the the uh, treble frequencies get bled off to ground faster than the bass frequencies. So you lose treble as you turn your volume knob down, just slightly, you know. So this mod is supposed to keep your tone consistent, you know, or more consistent from 0 to 10 on your volume control. Um, the only thing I can think, you know, it's a really, really... Uh, It's a it's a funny value capacitor. It's not a like a like a tone capacitor is a point oh two or a point oh five or something like that. So it's a really uh uh like like if you were to use a point zero zero one cap um as a tone control, then it would do that. So it would it would it would bleed off just a tiny tiny bit of high end. So my only guess is that you somehow wired it wrong maybe put it on the ground lug and the one of the hot lugs but you know if you're sure you didn't do that then i just don't know i don't know what the problem could have been but if that if that uh if it was installed improperly it, it would do that it would take just a tiny bit of high end off the top if you installed it on the wrong two lugs hmm. yeah I mean, you look at the, I'm looking at the instructions right here on stuartmcdonald.com, and uh, it's, I mean, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear how to do it. One, the ground lug is real obvious because it's bent way over, touching the housing of the pot, and it's hardwired, soldered to the pot. Right. Yeah. So it would be pretty hard to mess that up. Hmm. But it's possible. I've seen all kinds of things get messed up. Believe me. <laughs> Believe me. Anyway, Dean, I, I just don't know what happened there, but it sounds like you got it fixed anyhow. Good job, Dean. So that's Dean. cool. Cool. Next question. Hi, Eric and Melissa. My name is Ken Nelson. I have a Martin guitar. It's a D16A. Um, and I had a unique situation um, I store my guitars in a room where I have a humidifier. They're all temperature or temperature and uh, humidity controlled. But my girlfriend put one of those um, plug-in air fresheners in the room where I store my guitars. And she plugged it into an outlet that was maybe 15 to 18 inches below where my Martin guitar was hanging on the wall. Well... Whatever those things emit, it actually melted the lacquer directly underneath where um, the guitar was above the air freshener. And it melted it to the point where there's almost like a hole finish, and then it drips down to where um, gravity would have taken it. So my question is, do I need to do anything with the actual wood that's exposed? And do you have any recommendations on how to maybe correct the finish, or should I just not be concerned about it and leave it as it is? Anyway, that's my question. I really dig the show, and I appreciate your answer. Thank you. Wow, that is a new one on me. That is crazy. I know. I've never heard of that before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, unique situation for sure. I wonder if that thing, if those air fresheners put out some heat. 
that it, much though? I mean, 15 to 18 inches, that's a long way yeah, for heat to... Yeah, you're right. It must be some chemical reaction. But that is so weird. It is weird. I will never buy any of those yeah, air fresheners. You'd, the, you'd think that something that puts out a chemical that noxious would be... Uh, illegal? Well, it's something you wouldn't want to plug into your yeah, outlet. Right, yeah. It's, it's melting lacquer. That's not <laughs> That's good. That's not good. Um, that is really interesting. Does the guitar smell nice? I hope so. Yeah. Uh, here's the deal. I, you know, I wouldn't be too worried about the, um, damage to the wood. Uh, you know, I'm assuming that it's just a little, you know, maybe at the most a quarter sized spot. Did he say how big it was? I don't think so. If it's pretty big, yeah, you, you know, you don't want to leave it unfinished, I guess. I don't know. It's not that, I don't know. It's it's mostly cosmetic is what I'm trying to say. It, it sounds like it's mostly just a cosmetic issue. Yeah. I don't know how big the spot is or if the wood has discolored. If that thing was putting out heat, it might have darkened the spot too. If it hasn't discolored, uh, somebody like myself, any, you know, any competent repair guy should be able to touch up that finish uh, and make it almost invisible. Um, that, that'd be a pretty easy thing to do and if it hasn't discolored at all. That is really bizarre. Wow. Yeah, I think the takeaway is never never use those plug-in air fresheners. Plug-in air fresheners, yeah. They'll melt your face and your guitars. That is crazy. It, it has, I wonder, how do they work? They must work by heat, don't you think? Well, but then there would be some sort of warning or, you know, like, it's, I, I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't know. They have to I'm be plugged a, into the wall. Yeah. I'm not a plug-in air freshener expert, but, <laughs> but I am a guitar expert. And I'm telling you, that could probably really easily be touched up if it hasn't discolored. So, um, you know, and I don't think it would be a very expensive thing to do. So, yeah, make your girlfriend pay for it. And uh, there you go. And then dump her. <laughs> yeah. No! <laughs> She's just trying to make the I know the, the, she, she had her, the his, music room smell nice. Yes, she had the best interests of the household she did. at heart. Bless her heart. Uh, anyhow, uh, that's sorry about your yeah, problems. It, it, I that's fascinating. I really do like hearing about new things that happen to guitars. <laughs> that is that was crazy. Anyhow, let's uh, let's take some emails, shall we? Hey guys, I'm going into the studio in two months, and I wondered if you have any tips on doing an enhanced setup to make sure my guitar is going to be super stable. James. Cool, James. Um, He doesn't mention what kind of guitar he has, does he? No. Yeah. Uh, Well, just some general tips. Um, I'm assuming that it's not like a locking tremolo system or something like that. I just have to assume it's a standard, you know, run-of-the-mill. Does he even say electric or acoustic? Uh, no. That's okay. I have some general tips. Um, one thing you can do, this this is something that I, I do from time to time on people that are really having trouble breaking strings or staying in tune. Take the strings. Before you put them on, take the strings, get your soldering iron nice and hot, and actually solder the ball end of the strings 
uh, on those wraps, you know, where the, not the ball end, but just that, that half inch before the ball end where the, the, uh, string is wrapped onto itself. Right. Tin that with solder and, uh, that'll stabilize that portion of the string. Huh. Yeah. It, it makes it so the string doesn't stretch out as much. Sure. Kind of stabilizes it there. The other thing that you can do is put some polishing compound on a string and run it through all of the saddle slots and run it through all of the nut slots. We're just kind of, we're just, we're taking every point that the string touches in the path of the string and and making sure that it can move freely in there and making sure that there's no burrs. Um, Tuning problems, you know, he says he wants to make it super stable. Tuning problems are... uh, usually caused by the string hanging up somewhere in the path. So, yeah. Um, So you want to make sure the string can move freely through the slots in the nut and in the saddle, if your saddle has slots, depending on what kind of guitar you have. So, you know, you wouldn't do that to to an acoustic guitar, but a Les Paul, for example, has little slots in the saddles. So, yeah, run some polishing compound through all the slots that the strings run through, you want to put some graphite or some kind of lubricant in the nut slots. That'll help keep it super stable. Um, what else? What else can I tell you to do? Uh, after you put on your strings, um, stretch each one out. You know, I like to give it five or six tugs and then tune it and then tug it again and then tune it and tug it again and keep doing that until it doesn't really stretch much when you tune, when you tug on it. Um, you want to make sure that you are tying your strings off on the tuner properly. Uh, yeah, a lot of things like that. A lot of a lot of those things are just things that I do in a normal setup, but some of it is a little above and beyond, like tinning the uh, the uh, the ball end with solder. Right. Yeah, that'll help. So there's some tips for you, James. I don't know. I hope that helps, man. I, I don't know what kind of guitar you had, but those are just some general tips. Thanks, James. Yeah. Thanks, James. Hi, Eric. When gluing a bridge to a flat top acoustic guitar, do you make hash marks across the surface to be glued? I've heard that this is a must, and I've also heard that it's not necessary. Which method do you prefer? Tony. Thanks, Tony. This Wow, I love this question. I've heard both arguments. Okay. Yeah. So when you're gluing two surfaces like, like a, a, a bridge to a guitar top, the grain in the top is running one way and the grain in the bridge is running the other way. Right. Yeah. And they're both should be relatively flat surfaces. Right. Yeah. So the theory is and what most people say and what most books that I've read say, uh, the theory is that you want to take an exacto blade or something and uh just make some uh crosshatch marks all all through the the bridge not necessarily the top the top wood is a lot softer but the ebony or the rosewood bridge you want to make hatch marks across the bridge right to give the glue something to bite onto sure that's the way i was taught 20 some odd years ago since then I have read research about uh, gluing surfaces together. Have you ever had two panes of flat glass? Yes. And uh, had them stuck together? 
Yes, surface and, tension. And you try to get them apart and, oh. Oh, and they're like yeah, stuck yeah, yeah. together. Yeah. Or any, you know, any flat, any two big flat surfaces. Yep. Uh, for some reason, they just, you know. It's like static electricity Yeah, or they something. just cling to each other. Yep. Um, I've read that uh, the same thing applies to gluing wood surfaces. You actually want as flat of as as smooth of a surface as possible. Interesting. Yeah, because it almost creates like a vacuum hmm. where um if you if you do hatch marks, it creates all these gaps that you don't want. Interesting. So, so, so what I've, do you do now? I've heard both theories. I, I did hatch marks for years and now I don't anymore. Huh. Yeah. I don't because I, I want the surfaces to be as smooth as possible. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that weird? Um, which way is right? I don't know. They both seem to work fine. I've never noticed one working necessarily better than the other, although I'm sure one I'm sure one does work better than the other, but they both work so well because the glue is strong, you know. Right. That it's not a big deal either way. So whatever whatever uh, whatever way you're sold on, I'm okay with, but for me, especially for the last few years, I've stopped doing those hatch marks. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for the question, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. You're really getting in my head there. That was, yeah. Thank you. Hey, guys. How are y'all? My name is Nick, and I'm from Central Texas. I love the podcast. I have a question. I just bought a Made in Mexico Telecaster. I changed out the bridge to brass saddles in the ashtray, and I love it. I wanted to do some more upgrades. The stock pickups are okay, but I want that Buck Owens sound for the bridge and a Stevie Ray sound for the neck. I will also be putting in an Obsidian wire control switch. I wanted to ask, what pickups should I use to get those tones? And do you happen to have any input on the Obsidian wire control switch? Thanks, guys, and a big yee-haw from Texas. Right on. Thanks, Nick. Uh, the Obsidian wire control switch, I looked it up. I've... I think I've inst- if I haven't installed that one I've installed ones like it um they're fine it's not I got to be honest with you it's not some it's not something I would use personally in my guitar not because it's a bad product or anything like that I'm just a very traditional guy when it comes to uh wiring up guitars um I don't like to see big circuit boards and big junction boxes I don't know that's just me that's just me it's not because it's going to sound bad or give you, you know, poor quality tone or anything like that. I'm just old-fashioned, and that's just me, you know. Um, but it's a. it looks like it's a well-made product. They, they're using good quality um, pots and, and good switches there. It's just got a big... It's like a pre-wired harness, and then it's got a big, like a big gray junction box. And you just stick all your wires in there, so it's like a solderless... A solderless connection, so you can just stick all your wires. Well, that's convenient. The, yeah, it's convenient, but, you know, yeah. I I spend so much time soldering that I see that and I go, eh, no thanks. Yeah. But, you know, Nick, don't let me, uh, you know, disparage what you're doing here. Uh, I'm sure it's a it's fine. It's just not, that's just, yeah, it's just not for me. As far as what pickups should you use, I get a lot of questions about what pickups should I use, and I never really know what to say. Uh 
I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but it's a little bit like trying to recommend an ice cream flavor. I don't know what you're going to like. And uh, I don't know, you know, what you like might not be what I like. So um, I can tell you, just from your description, um, a Texas special in the neck position would presumably give you that uh, Stevie Ray neck position sound. And something like a twang banger in the bridge position, that's just a Strat pickup with a with a plate on the bottom, a lot like a a lot like a Tele pickup. A Tele a Tele pickup has a a steel plate on the bottom. Right, changes the way the pickup sounds, and uh, you can get a Strat pickup with with a plate added to the bottom to kind of give you a little bit more of a Tele twang out of it. So that's one way to go. Yeah. Cool. That's one way to go. I'd be happy to make you some pickups if you're interested. Just let me know. But, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on you. That's always kind of what I come come back to. Anyhow, thanks for the question, Nick. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Love the show, and this is my second time riding in. <clears throat> I recently purchased a relatively cheap guitar as a backup for gigs. It's an old Epiphone Strat-style guitar with a maple neck. It's been impossible to tune and intonate. I tune all the strings, but the thick gauge strings, the E and A, don't intonate. The 12th fret is sharp. I have moved the bridge saddle screws to their max. The other kicker is, in first position chords, E and A, A especially, the E and A strings are out of tune. Wondering if the nut needs filing or if I, if I should just loosen the truss, truss rod a lot. I have set up my guitars before, but with much greater ease. I deeply value your input or advice. Thanks again for the great job, guys. Keep mm. rocking. Rob in Brooklyn, New York. Cool. Thanks, Rob. Questions like this are tough because it's hard, you know, without seeing the guitar, it is hard. But um, if the uh, nut slots are high, that'll definitely cause the problem you're talking about. So uh, what you want to do is is check and see what the height is like. Um, you also, you know, it never hurts when when you're working on a cheap guitar and you just can't get it to tune and you've got the saddles moved all the way and there's nowhere left to go. Get out a yardstick and measure the thing because I've seen plenty of cheap, I've seen plenty of expensive guitars, but I've seen plenty of cheap guitars where the bridge is just in the wrong place. And you, you're never going to intonate it, you know? Right. Um, and the way to measure scale length is measure from where the strings leave the nut right to the the very center of the 12th fret, the metal part of the fret. Measure from the nut to the middle of the fret on the 12th fret. And then measure from the 12th fret to the bridge. And those measurements should be equal except that from the 12th fret to the bridge should have just a little bit extra uh, space for intonation, like an eighth of an inch longer. Huh. Yeah. That's how you want to do that. If it's, if it's, you know, a different measurement, then you have big problems. Then what? Do you have to get a new neck or you have to just... Well, it could be the wrong neck on a... I've seen that plenty of times. People put a neck on a body that the scale length wasn't made, right. you know, the same on the neck and the body, and it doesn't line up. 
It could just be that the bridge was put on in the wrong place from the factory. I've seen that plenty of times. Huh. Yeah. So that's possible. Um, he says, should I just loosen the truss rod a lot? Well, loosening the truss rod a lot is only a good idea if your neck has a lot of back bow. It's really not a fix for intonation. So we want to we want to do um, things that are addressing the problem. So so adjust the truss rod if the neck needs adjusting. Can you go into how how do how do you know if your nut needs filing? How do you know if the slots are too high? Yeah. Um, here's how I do it. You hold the string down at the third fret and then tap the string between the first and the second fret and you just want to see just a little bit of movement there on the first fret. Okay. The string should be just sitting just above the first fret like you could just pass a piece of of, of paper between the string and the uh, fret, the metal part of the fret. So if there's too much space then you know you got to file. If there's if there's way too much space in there, if you could pass a penny in there or something, then uh, there's too much space, yeah. Okay. But it's touchy, because if you just go just the tiniest bit too far, now your strings buzz when played open. It's very touchy. Well, that stinks. you got to take it one, you know, file stroke at a time once you get down to where you need to be. Huh. So... It could be, you know, th- there's so many possibilities, Rob. Y- you might have a bad set of strings. I've seen that plenty of times where you get uh, a set of strings and uh, if the if the winding is coming off of the core a little bit, it'll never intonate. Right. So that's one thing that I try, a fresh string. Um, measure the scale length, make sure that's right. You're not height make sure that all that all that that's good yeah other than that i mean this is just standard st- setup stuff i don't know what could it could be a it could be a dozen different things so best of luck i hope that that helped you okay thanks rob thanks rob <clears throat> hey eric and melissa i have a couple questions the first have y'all ever thought of teaming up for a Wayland looking jobber do you know what that means yeah, I looked it up before yeah. we started the show, but yeah. <clears throat> uh, do you have a secret outlaw country photo buried somewhere on in the internet where I can't find them? Uh, in the second, I bought a new ch- national tri- triolian mm-hmm. yeah. a few years ago. The next seems to have settled with action on the high side. I typically use Dobro ga- gauged strings for open G. Though I use it for slide, I like to lower the strings a bit so it's easier to fret up the neck. Any tips for working with the biscuit bridge? Kent. Cool. Thanks, Kent. Um, I've, you know, I mean, I've just casually thought about a Waylon Tilly. We've talked about it. Yeah. And I think eventually we'll do a, some sort of collaboration. But yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to do an identical guitar to Waylon Jennings' guitar. Right. Waylon Jennings had a Telecaster with the body covered in leather. Right. Tooled leather. It's very cool. Um, we may eventually do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're con- I'm considering starting to do uh, d- d- pit guards. Oh, yeah. And so... I wish you would do gig bags. 
Yeah, and eventually really cool high end leather gig bags with tooled leather. I oh, I have man. two kids right now that are too little for me to I do have any two work. Two kids too. Well, you have a wife to watch them. Oh yeah. I just don't have much time right now. Eventually, yeah, I'd love to get into all that stuff. I yeah, I'd really really like to do all that stuff. All in good time, my man, Kent. Uh, your national triolian. Um, yeah. So, sounds like the action has crept up. Um. Of course, you'll want to check and see that the neck is pretty straight. That's the first thing you want to do. If it has a lot of uh, relief in it, then you can tighten up the truss rod, and that would do the trick. If the neck is already straight and the action's too high, then yeah, you need to lower the bridge. On those resonators. It's tricky because um, they don't have much brake angle behind the saddle. You know, as they go from the saddle to the tailpiece, there's not a whole lot of angle there. So you want to be careful um, if you're if you're going to shave down the top of the bridge. You want to make sure that the you've still the notches are still plenty deep in the uh, in the saddle. But yeah, to they're they're just trickier. They're just a little bit tricky, a little bit different than your standard acoustic guitar. That biscuit bridge, you you know, you'll take off the strings, take off the cover, and uh, you basically use nut files to file the grooves deeper, and then you can shave down the top of the uh, the saddle as well. So you you'll lower it all from the top. Where on a traditional acoustic guitar, you take the saddle out, you lower it by sanding away from the bottom. Mm. Yeah. But the way I do it, you just you file the slots a little deeper and then sand the top down. It's it's a little tricky because you have to kinda you have to kinda take the guitar apart a little bit to do it and then you're doing a little bit of guesswork. You're not quite sure how far you need to go and then you put it back on and see how you did. And then you have to try again if Yeah, if you have to. It's a little bit tricky. But you can do it. I believe in you can't. Hey guys, this is JSR from Long Beach, California, and I've got a question for you. I have a 2001 Fender American Standard, which has a maple fingerboard. For some reason, I have developed an aesthetic dislike for the visual appearance of maple fingerboards. I'm planning on purchasing a used Fender neck with a rosewood fingerboard. Should I purchase a 2003 era neck, or would any modern era Fender neck work? Any other concerns you can think of with a swap of this nature would be appreciated. Thanks again. Fan since show number one. Cool. Right on. One of the very few. JSR. JSR. I appreciate the question. Um, Should he purchase a 2003 era neck or would any modern era fender neck work? I would think pretty much any modern era fender neck would work. Uh, there are... 21 and 22 fret versions uh so i'm guessing you'll want to make sure you get the right one that you're after there um and then uh there's uh you know four bolt and three bolt fender necks but you'd have to go back a long ways to get a three bolt so yeah it it should be a pretty good an easy swap. Fender's pretty consistent about their uh, about their neck pockets and about their 
neck heels fitting. If you were going to go from one brand to another, that can be tricky. But, um, or if you're going to go from, yeah, what does he say? It's a, it's an American standard. Yeah, just make sure you get an American standard that's, you know, somewhere around the same year, but modern would be fine. I'm sure it'll fit. Cool. Yeah. Hey guys, I love the show. Keep them coming. My question is, have you ever done a mocha finish, like on some of the early 70s strats? And if not, if you were going to, how would you go about it? I think it's the coolest look of all the strats, but that's just me. Thanks again for the great podcast. Jed from Wisconsin. Cool. Thanks, Jed. I've never done the mocha finish. I like that finish, too. It's kind of a... It's kind of a transparent brown. Cool. Yeah. It's a good-looking finish. I've never done one. I wonder if Re-Ranch sells mocha. Uh, there's a website called Re-Ranch, and they sell pre-mixed aerosol lacquers that you can refinish your own guitar. Right. S- specific guitar colors. Yes. Yeah, right, right. So they have all the f- different... Fender Custom Colors. I think that they have Mocha. I think I've seen it on there, so you could check that out. If they don't, like I say, I'm pretty sure they do, but if they don't, you could get a Mohawk uh, spray can. And they sell toners. Mohawk sells toners that are um, transparent, too. They've got some pretty good blonde uh, paint and some good uh, you know, it's ba- it's basically Mohawk. They they mostly sell to furniture refinishers and furniture touch up guys, but a lot of people use those for guitars. They they sell good products, and uh, Mohawk you can really easily look up their color sample list. And if you order from Mohawk, just make sure you're getting the one that's transparent and not the one that's a solid color. I can't remember the difference, what they're called. They call them something different, but it's pretty obvious when you look it up. The difference there is um, also with Mohawk, when you color, when you spray on the color, it's just pigment. It's not a lacquer, so you have to lacquer over it. Oh, sure. I think Re-Ranch, the color is actually in the lacquer. Okay. And I'd still still clear coat over it if I were doing Re-Ranch, but with the Mohawk, you definitely have to clear over it with lacquer hmm. yeah cool jed thanks jed. jed get a respirator yeah if you're gonna be spraying paint save your lungs don't do it in your house dude <laughs> do it do it somewhere far far away from where you live and sleep and wear your respirator I recently acquired a martin hd 28e and like most martins the action is higher than I'd like I've reworked the saddles on other acoustics I own with good results, but since this one is an under-saddle pickup, I'm wondering if there are any precautions you might share before I start sanding away. Gary Grinder, Greeter, Central I think Minnesota. It's Jerry. Oh, yeah. Jerry. Yeah. G E R R Y, Jerry. Cool, Jerry. You know, um that can be tricky. That really can be tricky because when you've got an under-saddle pickup, the bottom of your saddle needs to be making perfect contact with the pickup. So if you feel uh, uh, if you feel real lucky, I think you can do it. If you're at all hesitant, 
then you might as well take it to a uh, to a pro. But yeah, it can be done. I I will generally use a uh, I've got a I've got a belt sander with a with a disc sander on it too, and that that rotating disc sander does a pretty good job of getting uh, the bottom of a saddle real flat. And then I'll take it to my fret leveling file to make sure that it's real flat. And you can you can look at it um, from the side. Your saddle, you know, after you're sanding on it. You look down the side and look at the bottom surface and you can really see, you know, how flat it is. You want to make sure that it's nice and flat. It's tricky. And then you put it on there and, you know, the problem is if you don't get it just perfect, then uh, you end up with volume discrepancies from one string to the next. Ouch. It's a real pain, man. It really is. That that can be real tricky. I won't, I won't, I won't kid you, Jerry. That's real tricky. So be careful. Hi, Eric. We met at Emerald City Guitars. I'm Matt from Australia. I had to email when I got the chance to say thanks for talking, the, taking the time to chat and talk about your guitars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Matt from Australia. If I had the money, the Terry, Terry Terrell guitar would be mine. Yeah, he came into the shop and played that guitar. Really a nice guy, too. It's awesome. I would have to say it's the best guitar I've ever played, and one-of-a-kind art just adds another dimension of wow, cool. thanks. The best thing about how unique it is is the hope that whoever buys it now may offload it some in, in the future at some point, which I may be able to be in a, be in a position to go for it. <clears throat> in the meantime, I'll try to keep watch on future pinup guitars that make their way onto the Emerald City website. You do great work. Thanks again, Matt. Wow. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate that, man. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I just had to throw that in there. It was such a nice email. I mean, how can I how can I not include it in my podcast? <laughs> Let's take a quick break and we shall be right back. Hi podcast fans, Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed though, we still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you'd need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. C-O-Leather.com. 
Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones and Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50 style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. When doing a setup on a Fender Bolt-on neck guitar, how do you determine if the neck needs to be shimmed or have the micro tilt adjusted? Is there a standard neck angle a Fender bolt-on neck guitar should have, similar to a set neck guitar? Thanks for the pod. Thanks. The podcast is awesome. Keep up the great work, Glenn in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Thanks, Glenn. Do you know what a micro tilt no. is? I do not. It's a little. There's an. It's an. It's a little screw that sits inside the body, underneath where the neck mounts sure. and then it has an allen head adjustment and you can adjust it so that it 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 like tilts the neck sure uh it, it adjusts the neck angle rather than putting in a shim right okay that yeah. makes sense um how do you determine if the neck needs to be shimmed or have the micro tilt adjusted well uh it's pretty simple really um on a fender style guitar uh if the saddles are sitting all the way low, if the saddles are all the way down, but the action is still too high and everything else is fine, you know, like if the neck is straight, everything else is dialed in, but the saddles are sitting all the way down and the action's still too high, then, you know, you have to shim the neck. It's really that simple. Um, and that's the most common way that you shim the neck. Um, it's rare, but it does happen that the saddles are sitting too high, and then you can shim the neck on the opposite side. But it's pretty rare. That's pretty rare. And, and the better way to fix that is to actually to take a router and just shave off a tiny bit of the neck pocket close. Oh uh, wow! Close to the uh, close to the neck pickup. That sounds scary. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just a little bit of shim material will fix that. Is there a standard neck angle a Fender bolt-on neck should have, similar to a set neck guitar? There's really not. You know, they're they're kind of just straight. They're kind of just straight. Um, the fact that the neck sits up higher than it does on a on a set neck guitar is is what makes the difference there. There are makers, there are builders that put 
just a slight angle to their neck pocket. I'm not sure what angle they use, but it, that can be done. Huh. And that's not a bad way to do it. That way you never have to shim a neck, but it doesn't bother me if there's a shim in the neck on a Fender guitar. All those great guitars in the 50s and 60s, you know, seems like about 75% of those have a little bit of a shim in there. And nobody ever complains about those guitars. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. Hi, Eric and Mel. How do you fix a loose strap button slash pin on a Fender-style guitar? Hope your family is well and happy. Cheers from Melbourne, Australia. Dion. Oh, wow, all the Australian listeners are... Yeah, they're sending in their uh, emails. Yeah. Um, it's a really easy fix to fix a, a strap button on a Fender-style guitar. I'm assuming you mean when the wood is stripped out, which is a common problem. Um, what you want to do is uh, take some wood glue and a small dowel and fill the hole and then and then re-drill it after it after the glue dries. Huh. Really an easy fix. Um, the, the other problem that you occasionally see is a screw broken off. Into the wood? Yeah, or you'll see the screw head is stripped. Yeah. But I, the most common by far is that the wood gets stripped out, so I'm, I'm assuming that's what he's talking about. And it's an easy fix. You take a dowel and some wood glue and fill it and then re-drill it and re- Mount the uh, strap button. Works real well. Awesome. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Hope you are both well. Eric, what's your ballpark measurement for neck relief? Would you ever consider winding bass pickups? Cheers, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Thanks, Jonathan. Absolutely, I'd make bass pickups. I really like making weird, crazy, one-off pickups. I've made some bizarre pickups for people, and uh, yeah, so... I'd make, you know, that's one thing, one custom request that I just don't mind at all. I I enjoy the challenge of making some different pickup. Cool. So, yeah, no problem there. Um, My ballpark measurement for neck relief is actually flat. If I can get a guitar to play with a, f a flat neck, then great. So nice. what I do is when I'm doing a setup on a guitar, I set the neck flat. And then see how it plays. And if it needs a little bit of relief, I add a little bit of relief. And if it needs a little bit more, I add a little bit more. And if I went too far, then I tighten the truss rod up a little bit and make it a little bit flatter. It, there's really not... I don't have a standard go-to measurement. And the reason I don't have a standard go-to measurement is that all guitars are different. And they'll set up differently. Hmm. But if I can get it... If it has really nice fretwork where all the frets are level from one to the next, and I can get it to play with a really flat neck, that's the that's the golden ticket right there. Especially on a Fender guitar with a uh, a vintage radius, you know, the seven and a quarter radius, because the guitars, those guitars, the problem they'll have is when you bend the high strings, they'll fret out because the fingerboard is so curved that as you're going up the curve of the fingerboard... Um, they'll hit the next for higher frets. Right. But if you can get the neck as flat as possible, then it really lessens that. Huh. Cool. So that's my <laughs> that's my go-to measurement for neck relief. 
Hi, Eric. Thank you for the great podcast. Would love to hear your thoughts on Carvin Kiesel guitars. Is that how you say it? Kiesel? Kiesel. Have you worked on any thoughts on quality? I know that they are not your style, but they seem to offer a good value for American-made instruments. Also, old lap steels. What to look for when buying old lap steels? Thanks for your opinions. Ray. Right on, Ray. I like your questions because they're actually a little bit related in a sense. Did you know that Carvin started out making lap steels in the 50s? It's true. Uh, And uh, you wouldn't know it. I mean, you look at modern Carvin guitars and they're these, you know, pointy metallic purple things. And uh, yeah, he they they made really great lap steels in the uh, in the golden age of electric guitars. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, I've I have seen uh, those, and I think that they are good quality. They're well made. It's you're right. It's not my style, but you know that's fine. Um. Uh, yeah, I think I think that you're absolutely right. They're a good value for an American-made instrument, and they're well-made. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, Old lap steels. What to look for when buying older lap steels. A few things for you here, Ray. One thing that you want to look for is, um, you know, lap steels are easy because you don't have to worry about nut height, bridge height, neck straightness, um, because of the way they're played. None of that really matters. Um, but what does matter is the tuners. You want to make sure that it's got solid tuners. And, uh, a lot of old lap steels have really weird tuners that you, you have to turn with an an Allen key or they have, you know, really, really crummy tuners that are falling apart. So that's one thing to definitely look out for. Good quality tuners. Another thing to look out for is a good sounding pickup. Some of them are just magical sounding. Big like a piano, you know? Just amazing sounding. And some of them are just plain dinky. So there's a real wide variance there. Um, the ones that come to mind, like the there's Magnetone, I think, makes a lap steel where the pickup is actually hidden inside the body of the guitar. Oh, cool. And I just don't, yeah, but I don't dig them because the pickup is so far away from the strings that they just don't sound that good. Oh. So that's that's one thing to look for. You, you want to make sure you're getting one where the pickup is good and hot and sounds nice. And there was a third thing, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, uh, the jack. A lot of old lap steels are made with, an, with what's called an amphenol jack, where... It's it's not a quarter-inch jack, and that just really makes life complicated. So look for one with a quarter-inch standard jack that just makes it easy to use a standard guitar cable. That way you don't have to have a special cable just for that lap steel, and then sure enough, it'll crap out when you're on a gig or something, and you've got to have that one special cable, and nobody carries them, and you have to you know, order one on the Internet or something. Yeah. So quarter-inch jack... Good-sounding pickup, decent tuners. The other thing that sometimes drives me crazy about old lap steels is, uh, you know, before they kind of standardized controls, they would wire tone pots backwards where what we think of as all the way up, it, 
will have the tone rolled off. Mm. That would drive me crazy. So that's another thing to look out for. All right. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Love the podcast. I am currently mid-binge of all the old episodes. I am a physician, GI, by day, and a majorly amateur tinkerer, and a longtime bass and guitar player when I can escape by night. I have a made-in-Germany Warwick streamer, five-string bass that plays like a dream and produces such a great, deep, warm tone. I recently noticed the pots, two-volume, one-tone, two humbuckers are the crappy little dime-sized pots that you have described as less than desirable. Think I'd improve the tone even more by replacing those? Or, since it really ain't broke, don't fix it. Thanks so much, Butchie. Dr. Butchie. Uh, I would I would say um, what you said there at the end, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's made in Germany. They're probably decent pots. Some of those dime-sized pots are okay. What you want to look out for is the dime-sized pots in Asian-made instruments. Those are really crummy. But um, a lot of, you know, in basses especially, they'll have active electronics, and they'll and then they'll have odd-value pots, like 10K pots, rather than the standard 250 or 500K pots you generally see in a bass or guitar. So, the, but they're the tiny little pots, um, and it's an active electronic system. Uh, trying to mess with all of that, I wouldn't recommend it. Just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's doing fine. And uh, even if they are less than perfect pots, less than, you know, top of the line, um, it's just a resistor. So you're really, you're not going to get a big, you're not going to notice any tone difference. I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't worry about it at all. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Eric, how do you fix old white plastic tuner buttons on the old Klusen tuners? I know that rotting old buttons can be replaced, but do replacement buttons look like the old ones? I'd hate to put on bright white new looking buttons on my cool old lap steel. Help, Mark. Another lap steel question. Wow. Um, yeah, those old Klusen tuners, the white buttons on those old Klusen tuners that certain eras seems like they uh they deteriorate and they just turn into some powder and they just crumble you know so yeah those can be replaced you can get replacements from a number of different companies all parts makes them um but the all parts ones aren't really my favorite they look fine but they do look bright white and new um stumac stuart mcdonald has them available in white and then cream. And the cream ones are quite nice. They oh. lo- they look about right. Cool. But they're still modern plastic. They're not the old, you know, whatever that plastic is that they used on those old tuners. I don't know if it's celluloid or what. You can find, and I looked before we did the show tonight, um, the source for these, but I, c- I can't find it. Somebody out there will email me. And tell me, but somebody does make uh, a replacement button that's made out of the proper 50s plastic. They're made in Italy. They're celluloid. uh, And they look exactly right because they are exactly right. But they're expensive and they're hard to find. They really are. For my money, I would just go with the cream-colored Stumac ones because 
they really do look good. Those Stuart McDonald cream-colored buttons. And the way you replace those is that you have to heat up. You know, you take the old button off, and it'll just crumble off usually. And uh, you have to heat up the shaft and then melt the tuner button on. It's tricky. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's wild. So how do you melt uh, how do you, with a soldering iron? You know what I do? I've got an old soldering iron where, um, you know, different soldering irons work in different ways. The tips go on different ways. I've got a soldering iron where uh, the tip just screws out. Uh-huh. And what I do is I take the tip off and shove <laughs> shove the shaft of the uh, tuner. And you want to take the tuners off your guitar to do this, by the way. Okay. Don't do it with the tuners on your guitar. But I'll literally just stick the shaft into the soldering iron. <laughs> and it gets plenty hot, I'll tell you. Yeah, I bet. I tell you what, it does the trick. I used to just sit there and, and hold my soldering iron onto the onto it to try to get it hot enough and it just seems like you could never really get it hot enough it's really it really doesn't work yeah alternately you can drill out the hole in the in the button to just 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 slightly undersize and then tap it on with a mallet right but that's tricky because they'll split so you really have to get the hole just the right size but it does work Huh. Yeah, it can work, but the best way is to melt them on with a, a soldering iron, and that's what I do. I take the tip off the iron, stick the shaft right inside the soldering iron, and let it get nice and hot, and then you can melt it right on. Cool. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for participating in the in the show. We can't we can't do a show if you don't participate. If you don't participate, I'm going to have to go back to doing interviews, and you know how much I hate that. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I really like interviews, and I'm going to be doing more interviews in the future. But please participate in the show. You can do so by going to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, send me an email there, and uh, I'll use your question or comment as part of the show. The other way to do it, of course, is to call 757-774-8482. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Melissa, for joining me. Thank you. Oh, yeah. We'll see you next month.